Hi, this is Jim Lovato. I'm president and founder of a company called The Performance Group. Our business is helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. On our program today is Curtis Nelson, and Curtis keeps quite busy because he is president and CEO of the Entrepreneurial Development Center Incorporated, managing member of the Accelerated IT LLC and CRN LLC, also a manager of Iowa C Fund LLC, also as a member of the Executive Committee and Board of Directors for the University of Iowa Research Foundation. He's the author of the seminar and soon-to-be-published book, The Recipe for Business Success. With over 25 years of successful national and international business creation leadership experience, Curtis Nelson has directed the development and successful launch of over 40 new businesses and more than 250 new products. Nelson is a seasoned entrepreneur and a three-time veteran of Inc. Magazine's 500 Fastest Growing Private Companies list. So welcome to our program, Curtis Nelson. So, Kurt, the, the first question I have is, how did you get started in business? Well, in the current business I'm in? Or well, let's go back in general, because uh, we're going to delve into some of your background here, and because uh, you've started several businesses. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, <laughs> and that's mostly because I kind of get an itch about every seven years. You're out of college, and you say to yourself, well, instead of doing this, maybe I should go start this. Yeah, you know, in, in college, my roommate and I started a, a house painting business and got out of college. And I was a downhill skier, and I thought, man, yeah, I'd like to get in the downhill ski business. So I got in the downhill ski business with a, a then-growing chain of downhill ski and sporting goods stores here in the Midwest. Um, started as a salesman, ended up store manager in about a year and a half, and managed stores and uh, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, Davenport, Iowa, and Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is kind of how I got to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, did that for quite a while, I don't know, five, six years or so. Um, and uh, I kind of made a, made a jump to uh, Universal Gym Equipment. Universal Gym Equipment was then kind of the largest, uh, or the Nevada Nautilus, the, the two largest suppliers of fitness equipment in the world. And I started started a couple different businesses inside Universal. I started one in the communications area for sports arenas, and it, and it turned out to be for airport air, air displays and airport displays and things like that. And then I started a medical division for them uh, in the physical therapy industry, and then I ended up running sales and marketing worldwide for the whole company. Um, and uh, So you've always kind of had this entrepreneurial gene. Yeah, I have. Then, then I went to Rockwell International and started a helped them start a uh, long haul trucking communications business. Uh, spent a couple of years uh, growing the sales and marketing side of that business. Um, that is not an entrepreneurial uh, organization, um, so a little tougher for me to operate in. Got out of that uh, and uh, helped a previous uh, uh, associate of mine start a uh, industrial computer business. Uh, we built uh, computer systems for the telecom industry, back office architecture, computer computerware, if you will. Uh, so for products like, uh, for all those of you that carried around a Sam's prepaid calling card, for uh, you can still carry them, you know, uh, for prepaid calling. We built uh, the architecture for them. Uh, that our system at one point in time was running over 3 billion minutes a month for Sam's Club. So we did an awful lot of the back-end architecture for those folks, OEMs for folks like Motorola, 
and so forth through that kind of company up to about a $42 million. And uh, prior to the tech crunch in 2001, uh, after that, I, uh, my partner and I split ways. He kept the company, uh, bought my shares. And then I uh, started this entrepreneurial development center here in Cedar Rapids uh, to uh, help uh, other entrepreneurs. I had started a number of companies by then and had been I've been in all different industries by then, so uh, and I had children in the junior high and high school bracket, so I needed to stay in this area. So, got involved with this entrepreneurial development center, set it up uh, to do nothing but uh, help create, uh, from an economic development standpoint, uh, scalable interstate commerce businesses in the Cedar Rapids and Iowa City area, and then uh, as it branched out across the state of Iowa. Um, and since that time, we've helped start about. I don't know, 42 new companies there. So I guess I've been a part of or been started, started about 47 businesses at this stage in my career. Also started a seed fund, an investment fund for investing in those companies. Right. So that's kind of a thumbnail of, I don't know, 30 years. Okay. Th- 30 years and three minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess that's about right. So the uh, – um, and people probably don't know this. We talked about in the introduction. You're a three-time veteran of Inc. Magazine's 500 fastest-growing private companies list. Yeah, that Crystal Group, our computer company, was on there three years in a row now in 97, 98, and 99. We were the second company in Iowa to ever accomplish that. Teleconnect was actually the first. Um, and uh, I think the – what numbers were we? 48. They're hanging on my wall here. 48, 67, and uh, – 225 on the list. So the, the first question I have, especially for our audience out there that currently owns businesses and is familiar with that, what that list means, uh, and this may be an oversimplistic question, but boy, how do you do that? <laughs> Getting on that list is not easy. Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, it, it helped, you know, between 19, you know, 1990 and 2000, and being in the uh, tech world, being in the telecom industry, there was surely enough uh, growth going on in that industry, but the uh, the trick, you know, and in, in the the seminar that, te- that I teach, the book that I wrote uh, that's getting published later this summer, the recipe for business success. You know, I uh, I was asked way back in '99 when we were on there for three years how you do it, and I said it's kind of like baking a cake. You know, if you get all the ingredients in the execution right, it's really pretty straightforward. Um, and so, you know, the whole thing about ingredients and execution. Uh, when it comes to ingredients, it's you know it's it's the right fit in the market. So it's having you know it's being in the right place at the right time with the right product for the right uh, for the right consumer. Uh, then it's having the right business plan to execute against that fit in the market. Then it's having the right talent on your team. Uh, it's just like a baseball or football team. It's having all the right people in the right places at the right time. Then having the right leadership that understands how to build that team plan and then how to help them excel. And then having all the right resources with which to excel. And just like bacon, you know, it's ingredients and execution. And we uh, at Crystal Group got all that right. Um, and because we did, uh, we were able to grow at phenomenal rates. So uh, that's did, how we did it. What did Crystal Group, what were you either manufacturing or selling? Yeah, I told you, I think I said man, we were manufacturing uh, hardened computer systems. Hard, okay. Uh, if you could think about it, it's like a desktop computer except that it's, it's designed, you know, it's designed to be running an application of some type, like a, a voice over IP application or an automated operator call or switching a call or something. It's not designed to have a keyboard and monitor hooked to it. Okay. And uh, the book you're referring to, because uh, I did read your 
manual for the seminar you give, which is the yeah. recipe for business success. Right. And there's a book coming out on by the same name then. Right. Okay. So thinking back to um, when you started these businesses, especially with your, your time there uh, in the late 90s, what's the hardest thing you had to overcome? Well, you know, I think the hardest thing to overcome in business is um, is finding, is getting the right people. Uh, because, you know, business success is really all about the people that you surround yourself with. Um, you know, that they are the people that create intellectual property. They're the, they're the, they're the, you know, they're the resource that makes things happen. And, uh, you know, you see if you surround yourself with the right people, um, you get all of the rest of it uh, much easier than if you don't. Um, and, I, and, again, you know, that's why a lot of the businesses fail. So uh, I think that's always the hardest part is building the right team because you have to build a team that, A, has all the talent and experience you need, and, B, that can work well together, play in the same sandbox, not kill each other, and you can get along with. And, uh, Kurt, uh, in, in your career, was there a moment in time or epiphany where you said uh, that's really one of the keys and you maybe changed some things at that point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I the this whole recipe uh, book and seminar that that I teach uh, is all around all the different pieces that I learned. You know, kind of all the aha moments you have through your business career when you've done something right or you've done something wrong. Um, and I guess because I started out in the retail world, uh, managing uh, sporting goods and ski stores, where I had to have twenty part-time high school kids working for me, I learned kind of at a real early age that who you had. Um, on your team had everything to do with how well it would work. Uh, so I think I was fortunate enough to, I don't even know, stumble into the right uh, jobs early in my career to really understand that it was all, that your success was all about the, the team's success. Um, so I, I don't know exactly when, it, when that uh, uh, gelled for me, but uh, all along, uh, I think th- and those people that have worked on some of the teams that I've built would all, I think would always tell you that that's something that from the early stages I've done well is build, uh, is build a team of people that can execute well together. You know, earlier we joked a little bit about your 30-year history in three minutes, uh, and at the same time, you probably couldn't put a book together called The Recipe for Business Success without 30 years' experience to pull back on. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, what do I always say? You know, in your, in your 30s, in your 30s you, uh, you're really bright, in your 40s you're really smart, and in your 50s you just get wise. And... Uh, you know, so as as you when you think you know things and and then you don't and then you find out the hard way. Um, I was uh, I remember uh, one of the divisions that I had started for Universal. We, we sold to a company in Norwalk, Connecticut, and I went to work kind of. I went with the business to run it for them, and uh, I was and they were a very autocratic, uh, process-driven, non-entrepreneurial kind of company, and I was sitting with. Uh, Bill Munsell, one of the founders of CMF and Z Advertising here in Cedar Rapids, um, who's a longtime family friend, and I was sitting with him at a Wendy's once lamenting about how how terrible it was to work there, and he kind of looked me in the eye and he said, so are you learning anything? And I said, yeah, man, okay, I'm learning a lot. So, you know, it's all about what you learn at every stage, at every step of the way, and if someone's going to pay you to learn, whether they're paying you to learn the right way or the wrong way, you gain that experience year after year after year. Well, and I tell the the young adults who are graduating from college whenever I speak to them, I said it's more important who you're around and where they're taking you rather than what you're being paid coming right out of college. So if you can align yourself there and keep your ears open, it'll probably set you up pretty good. 
Yeah, and I think the, to comment on that, you know, I, I have uh, a couple times in my career stepped back financially in order to get forward financially. Um, I mean, I have a, I've been somebody that kind of always looked out five years. I mean, I tend with all my businesses to look out five years, and I've looked out with my career five years. Um, and so I, I, I guess I was always focused on, you know, what's the next thing going to be? And is this the right thing that I'm in? And if I have, it's not the right thing that I'm in, but I'm making good money, uh, I really gauge, do I really love driving to work every day? And when I stop saying that I do, then I need to move and make the next step. And then sometimes that means backing up. And I think people, especially at the young people level, have to be willing to do that. Uh, what you don't want to do is you don't want to stay in one job, one industry for 20 years and then figure out you don't want to be there because you have no diversity in your background. But if you've been a marketing exec and you've done it in seven industries by the, after 20 years, then you could be a marketing exec in almost any industry because you've proved you can. Right. And I think that's really critical for the young people to understand. You're looking at uh, you know, these businesses, and, and all growth comes in stages. So thinking back to the growth stages some of your companies went through, were there, was there one stage that seemed to be harder than the next? as you grew these companies? I don't know. I mean, I think the um, growth stages are interesting. I mean, uh, clearly the, the hardest stage um, is kind of the, is the initial stage, which is the, you know, getting it, all, getting it all right the first time and getting your first clients and, uh, you know, actually getting a business to the point where it can make money the first time. Uh, that seems to take the longest. What do we tell everybody for all the consulting work that we do? You know, two times as long, two times as much money. Right. As, as you ever think it's going to take, uh, because I think at those stages of the game, you know, it's 80-hour weeks, and it's always taking longer, and uh, products aren't getting done on time, and customers aren't reacting the way you want them to. The next stages are, are different because then they're, all right, you know, we have validation, we have acceptance, we have, a, we have an entity now, how do we grow that entity? That's really, then, each stage is about, do I have now the right people to go from step B to C and C to D because it's not it's not always the same people that got you from A to B that are getting you from B to C and C to D and that's where businesses get in a lot of trouble is, is that they don't keep evolving relative to the talent they just it's the same team and they keep trying to execute at different levels and that's what makes the the next levels much harder well is that because I've noticed that some people um, you've got to make some tough decisions as it relates to personnel that maybe they're not willing to make. And that tough decision meaning that the company's really outgrown that person who maybe has been with you five years. Yep. Well, the hardest thing that anyone, that the people do, uh, is deal personally with other people's lives, right? So, you know, something I've told all of the executives that have worked on my teams over the years is that whenever you remove someone from a job, you will never, you know, you will always say, I should have done it sooner, and you'll never wish you hadn't done it. Um, you know, and so... The, the trick in uh, the quote that I, that I remember always, uh, I guess it came from a Star Trek movie, which was, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And if you're going to run a business, you have to run it that way. Um, so you have to continually look at your team as resources. I mean, no question that to build a team, you have to look at them as individual personalities and you have to nurture those personalities and you have to get involved with those folks. But at the same time, your responsibility to every other employee is the one that's in the is, is, is the one that's in that job that you're working with? Are they in the right job? If not, can you move them somewhere else? Do you need to get someone else in there? And some executives 
you know, continually grow up the ranks and some stop. They kind of reach the level where they're, where they're going to peak. And your job then as the leader is to say, great, you're good there. Now I'm going to put somebody over top of you and keep going. Um, and uh, those that can do that well, the leaders that can make that happen well, can keep a company growing at, at fast rates. I know that in the businesses, just like in Crystal Group, there were executives that I hired and some that stopped at certain levels and some that, that just kept excelling. Um, and uh, I think everybody kind of understood it, but that that's where we wanted to go. Kurt, I want to talk a little bit about you know, getting emotionally tied to your business. There was a point in my career where I worked for somebody whose father was a very successful entrepreneur, <laughs> started several businesses, sold a couple of them, you know, for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I was sitting around uh, with my boss, you know, his son, and uh, he asked me the question, Jim, what do you, what do you think it's going to take to get our business to the next level? And I said, man, you're, you're asking the wrong person. And I said, ask your father. I mean, he started and sold several businesses and was very successful. And what would your father say? And his comment back to me was, well, my father said, his businesses started to accelerate when he quit being emotionally tied to them. Kurt, in your experience, how important is that ability to remove yourself emotionally? Because it appears you've been able to do that. Well, I avoid it sometimes. And I can I can honestly tell you that it had, you know had I been better at it, um, had I been better at it, I, my partner and I would have sold uh, would have sold that Crystal Group business earlier. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to not get uh, personally involved in it. Um, you know, but I think the thing to remember always about business is, you know, business is a game. It's there to be played. You're supposed to have fun doing it. Um, and what ha- what needs to happen if if you want to be you want to be moving forward and creating different businesses, then you have to create the business so that that business itself is the product you aim to sell. Right. Because if in Iowa, and the reason we have trouble in Iowa creating businesses and, and, and continually creating businesses and seeing serial entrepreneurs is that in Iowa, most people that start a business start a business to save, to keep, and pass on. They don't start them to sell like they do in Silicon Valley or Silicon Alley. And so you don't end up getting that CEO like this, like the gentleman you're talking about, you know, that's built two or three and sold them and is looking for the next one to build and sell. Um, so it's more of a mindset on is the company itself the product? that I'm trying to build and sell. And what is it that you, uh, you know, or am I building a business that has legacy for my family? Because there's a big difference between the two. And a big difference is, it appears to be what you're saying is, do you really have an exit plan? Well, right. I mean, what is your exit plan? Is your exit plan transition right. to family? Or is, your, or is your exit plan, you know, did you build the company to sell in five years? I mean, if, you, if you're going to build a company and you bring venture capitalists in, then you're building a company with an exit plan because they're not getting in unless you have one. Uh, but an awful lot of business, you know, that get started with personal capital or family capital or businesses that can buy the venture capital or their investors out at a certain point don't ever have that thought to, to, uh, to get rid of it. So and that just kind of ebbs and flows with the market. And to a certain extent, do you see, do you see that? Uh, can it be a limiting factor? Well, it, it can clearly limit what you do and how fast you can grow a business. I mean, I th- and I think that has everything to do with, uh, again, with who's driving the business. But, uh, you know, 
if, if your goal is to say that, look, I, I want to create a business, I want to drive it up to $50 million in revenue or $100 million in revenue and this type, you know, and 10% uh, EBITDA, you know, so that I've got a, uh, a valuation somewhere between 60 and $100 million, and that's what I want to sell it for, and that's my goal, then you'll work toward that goal. But if your goal is to build a business that's profitable and successful and that will employ 100 people and that will keep your family uh, healthy, that's a completely different goal. So it's not so, necessarily one being better than the other. It's just no. what are you focused on? Right. I mean, I think that both are successful. The problem um, with either, both of them come with their own set of problems. The one where you're trying to grow at, at a very fast rate means that there's, there's risk in that growth rate. There's risk in how much capital you take in, the risks you take. Um, those that, that don't have uh, growth as a focus but just have uh, staying alive as a focus miss a lot of opportunities to grow and sometimes miss an opportunity to change and end up in a dead-end uh, business. Um, so there are, you know, there are risks on both sides. You get to see a lot in terms of the business you're in now with the Entrepreneurial Development Center and the seminar you, you hold, which is the Recipe for Business Success. What are you seeing that people are struggling with right now that either are thinking about starting a company or are currently leading, company, uh, leading a company and coming to you for advice? Well, if they're currently trying to start a company, the, clearly the thing right now that's the most difficult is capital. Um, all the way from, you know, everybody knows that bank debt just got one heck of a lot harder to get mm-hmm. um, due to what's gone on uh, in the economy and the banking world. And uh, equity capital has gotten a lot harder. Equity capital is still available. But, uh, you know, if you thought you had to have a really well-wrapped deal to get equity capital a year ago, it really has to be well-wrapped now. Um, when it comes to businesses that are in business, the thing that we see continually, but we are seeing more now than anything, is a focus on sales and marketing acumen. Because businesses traditionally don't get started by folks that know anything about sales and marketing. They get started by folks who know how to build the widget, provide the service, write the code. Um, and they tend to have, on the talent, uh, the talent balance side, they tend to be pretty low on that whole sales and marketing side of their business. Well, if there's, if there's market momentum, business momentum, if you will, and their business is doing okay, that's fine. But when a recession hits, and especially if you're a recession-impacted product, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my goodness, I need, you know, my revenue is dropping. What am I doing for sales and marketing? And, oh, my gosh, I'm really not doing anything. <laughs> right. So that side of the business for existing businesses, or for anything that's startup, that side of the business tends to be the side that's avoided the most because it's the side the, the founders know the least about. Right. And then uh, when you get a slowdown like you have right now, uh, it rears its ugly head pretty quickly. Right. And the problem with sales and marketing is, is to, at a minimum, it's a six to 12 month buildup. So, you know, when you, when a guy comes in and says, look, I got to have sales next month, what can I do this month? And you're like, well, <laughs> Yeah, you know, that whole 30-day plan is, uh, you know, about all you could do is go out and run a special discount, and that's just going to kill your brand and your margins. So, really, you know, you got to build a marketing plan, a sales plan, and, and then you got to put the right people in place, and you got to capitalize that. So we're talking 6 to 18 months of activity here. So, you know, we try and focus our, our, our clients on, on understanding that before it's a problem. Yeah, are people surprised when you tell them 
Kurt, that uh, you're looking at six to 18 months to get that thing to start even hitting on all cylinders? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think it's, 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 uh, it's if you talk to a development person, uh, you know, that's developing a product widget software or whatever, and uh, you say to them, well, it could take, you know, one to three years to develop that product or that code, and they'll say, yeah, at least that long, right? Because they have comfort with that, and they know it, and they feel like it's hard, and that's the hard part. Um, they have a tendency to feel like that's the hard part. Now, the sales and marketing part, that's the easy part. You know, but in the whole product development cycle of going all the way from idea to profitability, the hardest part, and generally outside the medical industry and the FDA, the most expensive part is actually once the product's done, actually making money with it, getting it to market, getting it sold, getting it built, and making money. So they tend, it's because they don't know what they don't know, they tend to trivialize, uh, not intentionally, that whole sales and marketing piece. It's kind of like back in the Industrial Revolution when the quote was out there, you know, you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this day and age, with all of the competition that exists, lots of better mousetraps are out there. You can't just hold it up and say, see, I have it. Um, and an awful lot of that thinking kind of goes on. So there's an awful lot of, you know, blank stares and... Uh, uh, or winces at, oh, my goodness, you know, I thought I could fix this fast kind of thing. Um, well, and so. even with, uh, let's pretend you had a product that was uh, that was a niche that was unique. Um, today it's going to get copied quicker than it ever has before. Well, right. So, you know, how do you, how, this is that whole recipe I was talking about. You know, if you get all, if you do all of the things right, the thing about a recipe is, is that it works when you do everything right. You miss one piece of it, something goes wrong in the rest in the out in the end product, and that's the same thing about business. You can't just build a great product; that's not enough. You can't just have a great sales team if you have a lousy product. You can't you know you have to do all of the stuff together well, and you really have to have somebody helping you, whether it's an advisory board or a board of directors, an organization like ours that has all of the right talents on it to help you build that recipe out. Uh, those businesses that do that well can do it time after time after time. You know, there are businesses that can start, have a hot product, grow really fast for a couple of years, even get on Inc. Magazine's list once. But if you want to get on it time after time, you got to keep doing it well. So a little at the beginning can be a lot more about luck. As you go on, it has to become less about luck and more about how well you're executing. So when you're trying to keep that all in balance, and keep the ingredients, as you say, as you bake this recipe in the, the right sequence, right. can be overwhelming at times. Do you think that's one of the reasons that startups or even businesses that get into it three or four or five years can't make it past that because they're not able to balance that out? Yeah, I mean, clearly that's right. Um, you know, the, the, doing it right is really hard work. You know, getting all the all the pieces right, the ingredients and execution components right, is a lot of hard work. And people tend to omit the hard work and go right, you know, right past it. They'll, they make assumptions, they make guesses, um, and so forth. You know, you'll see a guy open a restaurant on a corner where there have been five other restaurants that have never made it, right? All right. <laughs> but he thinks he has a better hot well yeah his mom's his grandma's spaghetti recipe is going to be the best there ever was and by golly he's going to make it no he's not because there's fundamentally a problem with that corner um you know but but he's going to omit that entire due diligence that whole what i'll call the strategic fit analysis to understand 
is that is there you know is that the right place are there people that'll buy do they want his sauce all of the above can he do it can he make profit doing it he's going to skip all that and just jump right in and that's how both businesses get started which is why 75 to 77 percent of them fail in the first five years because heck half of them shouldn't have started to begin with because there wasn't a right reason to start so in your own experience when you're trying to balance all those disciplines of of being, you know, head of marketing, head of HR, uh, the head of product development, the head of customer service. And I don't mean literally the head, but keeping your right. eye on all those things. In your own case, how did you figure out how to balance all of those? Because there's only 24 hours in a day and only seven days in a week. Well, you balance those. You balance those by bringing the right people in and trusting them to do it. Um, I spent. Uh, an awful lot of time in my career with the team members that I brought in, making sure that the folks that I've got are the right ones that I can trust to do. I tend to be an over-delegator, not, not a micromanager. Um, and so I tend to hire people that when I say, hey, look, at this is really where we want to go, and they look at me and say, got it, and I let them go. You know, I tend not to be the person saying, well, how are you going to do that? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody that really cares how, only that you do it. Uh, but building the right team of people who are independent, entrepreneurial, self-starting, action-oriented individuals that can also work together so they're all rowing your rowing shell in the same direction at the same time. My job is just to keep the boat going in the direction I want it to go. And it's like what I tell a lot of these of my clients is, is that your job is to be the coach that wins from the dugout. You don't get to play. You just get to win. So if you, you've got to put a team on the field that can execute the game and win the game. And that's how you do it all. You can't do it all yourself. I have clients that have reached, you know, they, they, uh, many businesses can get to somewhere between 3 and $5 million in revenue. And the CEO and the founder is working 90 to 100 hours a week. Right. <laughs> and, the, and everyone's reporting to him. He's got 60 employees. They're all reporting to him. It's a fire drill from when he walks in the building. And he will never go past that point. And he's going to burn out. Those two things are true because he's never built the team under him to build the company to the next level. He doesn't trust. He doesn't delegate. He won't spend the money to hire the talent. Whatever that reason is, he or she, they, they, they glass ceiling themselves right there. And the trick to go from that 3 to $4 million bracket up to the next one is putting that team in place that they can have trust in and letting go, letting go of that side of the business. Start letting go of the sides of the business they have the least amount of capability in first. And build that team out to the point where they can go away for four weeks and answer a couple of emails and the company runs great. Now, if you've done that, if you've made yourself redundant, you've done one heck of a job of being a leader. Okay. You know, it, 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 it sounds easy when you talk about it. It's not that easy. And it's not that easy. And it's because uh, I think you've seen it, I've seen it especially if the person came out of sales or the person came out of engineering or the person, whatever their background is, that's the area they want to hang on to first. Well, that's right. No one, no one can do it as good as they can. Yeah, I know even when I was, uh, when I was driving at Crystal Group, I would say that, you know, I, I, being a sales and marketing guy at heart, uh, I, I always kept my hands in some, some relative to the customer because I always want to keep, you know, touching the customer base to make sure we're doing a good job. Um, so I, you know, I kind of kept my hands a little bit in that side of the business, spent quite a bit of time on the legal side, and, 
and some on the marketing side. But uh, you know, so you you know, you always if, as as a leader, there's always going to be one of the disciplines that you're going to kind of always add value in. Uh, the trick is to try and keep your hands out of the rest. Right. I, I told a person who had like three or four people in his company the other day. He said, you know, what's the trick getting the next level? I said, write all the job titles down, you know, janitor, bookkeeper, payroll clerk. And I said, put all your names in them because that's what you're doing right now and start checking off the ones that you don't want to occupy. Right. That's right. I mean, first, you know, figure out the, 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 the very first kind of partner level hire a founder makes is the most critical because that's the one where they're going to actually say, hey, that worked, I'll do it again, or it didn't. And so they need to really, on the very first one, pick the one area that they know they'd like to get out of and get, you know, so if it's an operations person or a sales and marketing person, you know, get that person hired, delegate that off, make sure it's the right person, and and then all of a sudden their life will get better, stress will go down, they'll say, wow, that was great. Well, let's go get another one of those, right, Versus, versus bringing in the wrong person micromanaging them, having that person get pissed down, you know, to the point where they're where it's really bad, then that person leaves and they say, See, I knew on I knew none of that would work and they won't ever do it again. And then so there they sit. For the key people who were going to be working closely with you, how did you select them? Well, the first thing that that I do um, is uh, really first you have to understand you. Um, what you know, who you are, how you operate, what you what what you like, what you don't like, what your you know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and what kind of people are going to work best around you. There's a problem solving ability. How fast people solve problems. I tend to be very quick um, on the problem solving. So I have to also hire team members around me that are the same. Um, if you don't hire people that are somewhat the same relative to their ability to solve problems, they'll frustrate you. Right. Um, you know, you, you can you, you if you're a fast problem solver, you can be around people who are either talking slow and you end up putting words in their mouth um, because you're getting impatient. Well, you have to know that about you so that you know you don't hire people like that. Uh, so you really kind of figure out what's your profile, then what's the overall profile of the talent that you're going to surround yourself with, and once you have that profile, then start looking for the right disciplines, you know, the marketing discipline, the sales discipline, the right experience, the right background, the right capabilities, because it's both those things that are critical. You have a degree in marketing. You're the past chairman for the Marketing Advisory Council for the Tippy School of Business at the University of Iowa. Right. So what marketing advice would you be giving people today, given the environment we're in? Well, you know, whenever I meet with the students uh, down there, the one thing I say about marketing always is, is that the very first thing they should do in, the, in, their, in their job career is get out and work in sales. Um, because until you've really understood how to help a customer make a buying decision, hold on a second, now I'm going to cough. I'm getting dry here. Take your time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but until you really understand how to, how, to, how to help customers make good buying decisions, it's very difficult to be a good marketer. Uh, it's near impossible to uh, go through the uh, you know, marketing textbooks um, and take six marketing classes and come out and say, okay, now I'm a marketing expert, right. um, <clears throat> when you're not. You really have to understand what customers look like, smell like, feel like. 
um, and how to make buying decisions occur, what they really want to really understand then how to create marketing strategies to solve problems. Have you ever seen anything like the economy we're going through right now? Oh, I think if you were to look back, um, the 80s were tough. I mean, what did we have in the 80s? We had double-digit inflation. I think I, I think I felt really good about a 16% car note back then. Right. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of these young people would say, "What? A 16%? I think I had a 12% house note." Right. Um, I remember when I got to get my house note from 12 down to 8%, and I felt like I'd stolen money. Uh, so you know, if, I guess if you look, every decade presents its challenges. Um, right now, uh, presenting challenges and presenting opportunities, um, but spend brain power to do it. Right. Take the time to do some thinking about where right. you're at and where you're headed. Right. Maybe you'll change your business altogether, yeah. but you won't ever think about doing it if you don't lift your head up far enough and look. And I heard a quote the other day that said, your, 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 your future is where your focus is at. Well, so, that's right. So if you're focused on the past, or to a certain extent, focused on the current situation, then that's where, exactly where you're going to stay. Yeah, I was a downhill ski instructor once in my life, and I taught uh, bump mogul skiing. And I said, you know, if you're looking at the next bump, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> you better be looking six or eight turns ahead. If you're not looking six or eight turns ahead, you're done. And you know, so it's it's like that in business. You know, you better be looking one to three to five years out. Um, if you're looking at if you're the CEO and you're looking at tomorrow, if you get to October, you better be looking at the next year. Your team better be finishing out the year. You better be really focused on next year by the last quarter of the year. So talk to me about the Entrepreneurial Development Center. The seminar you give is the recipe for business success. Right. So how do people access that? How do they come to that? Talk about a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, the Entrepreneurial Development Center is a, you know, we're a not-for-profit uh, 501c6 organization that's really mostly, it's uh, publicly and privately funded. It's here to, you know, to provide uh, basically free services to interstate commerce-level businesses in the areas in, in Iowa. Now, depending upon who's funding us, it's, it's, it's free or not free, depending upon whether we have funding from the area. So let's just uh, put it that way. But uh, in, in what we do for businesses, we work really like a doctor's office. We, you, know, you come in, we give you a physical, we kind of look at your entire business recipe, we take into consideration what you think you need. We do an analysis and try and help you understand, in some cases, that you, something else that you do need, uh, and then help you build a plan to work toward a real, uh, a real quality recipe. Now, when it comes to the seminars that, uh, that we teach, we've been teaching them all over the state. I think we've taught them about, I don't know, 17 times all across uh, Iowa. Um, we tend to teach that seminar anywhere from four to six times a year. Uh, you can access our web pages edcinc.org, and all of our seminars, all of our activities, there's hundreds of pages of, of information and resources on our webpage. But right on the home page is, uh, is where we list all the next activities from networking events to seminars to whatever we do. So we are a resource that's usable by anyone in Iowa, but it, it just, there's just a question of whether you're going to have to pay more or less depending upon where you live. The website, again, is edcinc.org. Right. Or you can go to the BizTalk website, which is biztalkradioshow.com. Okay. Click on As Heard On, and you'll find the link there also for the people listening. So right. since you started the Entrepreneurial Development Center, 
What's the one thing you're most proud of? Oh, I get what you know. The Optical Development Center, like any other business I've started, started with me sitting in an office, <laughs> the only employee out raising money. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, the most satisfying thing for me right now is all of the businesses we've helped. Um, there are, you know, many businesses that we've really helped get to certain points where they wouldn't have gotten there without that help. And, you know, if you, so if you look at those businesses and you can say, wow, that one's right there and we were really instrumental in that, and that one's growing like crazy and we were really instrumental in that, I mean, the satisfaction really comes in, in the success that you see in others. Uh, I mean, clearly I'm proud that we have a, we have a business accelerator that's probably in the top 15 in the country. But, you know, that's about us. What's really the, the, the hot uh, stuff is, is the businesses and the people that you're able to help. Kurt, a closing thought for our audience? Well, that, you know, the, I guess the piece of advice to anyone that's got an early stage business or that's trying to, wanting to start one is that it, it's that whole recipe thing. Get, do the work and make sure you're making good decisions. Um, you know, guesswork gets you in trouble. Uh, so get, you know, get the right talent wrapped around you in the form of advisors, um, educators, whatever you need. But get, you know, do the due diligence and make good business decisions, and you'll be better off for it. Great. Kurt, thank you for your time on this program. The website, again, is edcinc.org, right. or you can go to the website biztalkradioshow.com, and you'll find the link. It'll take you right out there. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com. Or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509. Or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net. 